Welcome to our podcast, Learning is Disruptable. Together, we will explore the intersection of disruptive innovation and education. When we say disruptable, we're not talking about the disruptive student who's causing chaos in the classroom. We're talking about the need, potential, and path for pursuing change. Disruptive innovation is a business theory referring to when a new product or service competes with something offered by a larger, more established business and eventually replaces it. The typical education system is so vast that it's almost impossible to change without starting something much smaller. Homeschools, microschools, and co-ops provide many opportunities to approach learning differently because each student can have customized learning experiences. The world has and is changing drastically, yet our public education system has not. We hope to add to the conversation regarding a need for change, a need for disruption in the world of education. It's time to disrupt what you thought you knew about learning. Hey everybody, we're about a week and a half into our school year, and Jerry Lynn and the kids are trying some new things this year and it's going well. We think the ability to change and try new things is one of the positive aspects of homeschool. We hope you're finding new things that serve your family well. Today, we're happy to share our conversation with Lizzie Peterson. Lizzie grew up in Maryland in a home where education was paramount and considered worth pursuing for its own sake. Publicly schooled from grades K through 10, she's been contemplating the point of the grading system since the first grade and spent time in the principal's office in eighth grade for protesting the amount of time taken away from learning to complete practice state tests. Despite this, she completed a BA in European Studies and an MS in Library and Information Science and realized her dream of attending school and living in New England. A Texan for most of her marriage, she's now mom to five kids and made the unexpected to her decision to homeschool when her oldest was only 15 months old. She's been running alternative education groups since 2019, including a four school for her kids and a study group for herself, and is constantly bothering anyone who will listen on the importance of knowing your educational philosophy, having a vision statement for your kids' education, and why education models not based on true principles of good human development should be avoided. Well, we are excited to have Lizzie Peterson on the podcast today. Lizzie is one of my good homeschooling friends. She reached out to me years ago and gave me the courage to join an outdoor wild and free group, actually. And we have since created our own outdoor forest school together with our kids and our friends. And I look to her for all kinds of inspiration and especially inspiration for good books and I'm excited to have her on the podcast today. So welcome, Lizzie. Oh, thank you. I was really excited that you thought I was interesting enough to talk to. So I think we'll just jump right into our questions. Actually, maybe we'll introduce a little bit. We had to ask Lizzie, what do you think we should interview you about? Because she has so many interesting things to talk about. But we decided that we wanted her to talk about vision statements, which is one of her passions, something that she's put a lot of time and and thought into. And so we're excited to quiz her on that and see what she has to say and what she has to share with you guys. So you have talked a lot about this concept of creating a vision statement as your first step on your homeschool journey. Why do you think that's the right first place to start? The longer I homeschool, the more and more benefits I see to doing it with a vision statement. And the more convinced I am that starting with a vision statement is one of the best things you can do for your homeschool. 
The short answer to your question is because of all they can do. It can be a very powerful document. This is certainly not an exhaustive list, but here are some of the ways that I have found in which a vision statement can help. If you think about education as a journey, it can help determine your destination or direction and illuminate your path. It can help you from becoming overwhelmed with all the philosophy and curricula choices that are out there. It can help you from getting lost in the world of homeschooling. It is an invaluable roadmap that can help you from getting too far off track. It can help you navigate, evaluate, and choose curricula. It can save you money. It can help you do the best things instead of using all your time on the just good or even bad things. It can help remove guilt. It can help you plan your academic year. It can help you determine a schedule or routine for your day or help evaluate what you already have in place. It can help direct your own goals and personal education. It can help you to keep going through the hard days or years, and it can help you be resilient. Uh, when someone decides to homeschool, the very first questions that typically get asked are, how do I do this? And what curriculum should I use? This is completely understandable. I mean, those are the exact same questions I asked. But this starting point reminds me of this scene from Alice's Adventures in Wonderland between Alice and the Cheshire Cat. Would you tell me, please, which way I ought to go from here? That depends a good deal on where you want to get to, said the cat. I don't care where, said Alice. Then it doesn't matter which way you go, said the cat. So long as I get somewhere, Alice added as an explanation. Oh, you're sure to do that, said the cat, if you only walk long enough. Which program or curriculum you use seems inherently important, and we somehow intuitively grasp the fact they are not all equal, and they do make a difference in the quality of your child's education. But if we don't start with an idea of where we want to go on this journey, when we start without knowing our guiding principles or essentials or top priorities, one curriculum or method is just as good as the next, for they each will take you somewhere and some type of education will happen. But we will get bogged down in all of the choices in the decision-making process and we won't be able to truly discern what is best. Obviously, we apply this vision statement idea to homeschool. But do you think that creating an educational vision statement for a family who has no intention of pulling their kids out of public school would be a good idea? And if so, why? Oh, absolutely. So we as parents are responsible for our child's learning and growth. Going the public school route isn't the abdication of that responsibility. It is a choice we make for the formal side of their academic education. Children still learn and grow outside of the school time and space, and school can't possibly teach them everything. A vision statement can help you choose the best things to do with the time your child has or the time you have with your child outside of school. And I think it's realistic to set an expectation that just because you have a great vision statement or you have a certain idea on what your school ought to look like, it doesn't eliminate some of the problems of Sometimes you just got to slog through some hard things when you're learning. There's desirable difficulties in learning, and those are you don't get rid of those when you homeschool. Well, and Liz, you had mentioned one of the reasons why you think the vision statement is important in the beginning is that it does help you make it through those hard days. So, do you have an example, or do you want to maybe expound on that a little bit, like how you feel like that helps? Sure. So one of the things that's really important to me are my children's relationships with each other. Like I want my kids to be friends with each other now. I want them to be friends with each other when they become adults. 
that's really important to me. And so when you're in the middle of a math lesson and you're dealing with like a complete meltdown, it can feel so easy to be like, okay, well, if I just sent them to public school, somebody else can take care of this problem. But if I do that, my kids are no longer spending that amount of time that is necessary for them to become friends. And so if I have that, and I know that, then it makes it, I guess, doable to just keep going through that math lesson. Because what I'm gaining is that time for my kids to be with each other and for me to kind of better help facilitate like my ideals. No, I love that. That's a perfect example. Thank you. So how would you coach someone who wants to get started creating their own vision statement? So it's pretty easy to get started on a vision statement. It doesn't have to be complicated. Um, The basic process is to ask questions to get at those priorities and to record those answers. Uh, Once you feel you have enough information, you can review your answers and see if any themes or patterns stick out to you. And then those things that pop up several times are most likely your top priorities and what you can use as the basis of your vision statement. If you're not sure about what questions to ask, I have a few that could help you get started. So you can ask some big picture questions such as what inspired your desire or decision to homeschool? What is the purpose of or benefits to homeschooling? What is the purpose of education? What are my child's needs? What experiences do I want them to have? You can ask um, end of the road questions, such as what are the things you want your children to know when they leave your house? If you could only pick one thing for your child to know when they reached adulthood, what would it be? What would you like your grown-up child to say about their experience of being homeschooled? What do you want your grown-up child to say about you as a homeschool parent? When your children are all grown up and you look back on the years of raising them, what do you want to see? What kind of people do you want your children to be when they grow up? What qualities are important to you that they develop? What skills do you want your adult children to have? Uh, And then you can also ask how to get their questions, such as, Uh, What types of activities would you like your day to be filled with? What are the non-negotiables that you want your child to study? What type of learning environment do you want to create? What adjectives do you want to describe the atmosphere of your homeschool? And what adjectives do you want to describe your homeschool experience? I can also recommend uh, Pam Barnhill's book, Plan Your Year, Homeschool Planning for Purpose and Peace. The first thing that she has you do before planning your academic year is to create a vision statement. She's actually the person that I first heard about vision statements from. So I'm very grateful to her for that. I also believe she has an online course that's based on the book. Cool. So we'll make sure that lands um, in our show notes for our listeners. And if it's okay, maybe we can find a way for them to get that list of questions because I think you've put a lot of time and effort into that and it's a valuable resource. Yeah. So... One of the things that I kind of like is the balance between the theoretical and the practical. I'm personally probably lean a little too much towards theoretical. So how do I make sure that my vision statement is actually usable? What do I do with it? How's it kind of impact my daily or weekly actions? Well, ultimately, you will only know if it's usable by trying to use it. So you can try planning a school term or a Monday schedule or evaluate a curriculum you've been thinking about and just see what happens. 
However, the most important thing to keep in mind in terms of usability is size. So the longer or bigger it is, the more useless it becomes. You're trying to figure out your top priorities, your essentials, your best things. The more you add to the vision statement, the more likely secondary or lower priorities are going to creep in. And it's just harder to have a vision when it's cluttered with too many ideas. It is better to start out with one idea than 20. I know you and I have chatted about this a little bit and we, Tony and I, have a prior podcast episode about jobs to be done and how to use it as a way to consider what parents and children higher education for. And we know that kids and parents almost always have different jobs. So how do you use a vision statement as a way to determine what your family is hiring school for? So with a vision statement, you know what you're looking for. You're going to be able to choose the best there. So for example, I used to be the general manager at a family-owned burger and shake shop. I started as a regular employee and worked my way up. When I started as general manager, the owners had taken over the hiring process from the previous general manager. I do not know what their decision process was, but the people they hired for me were not great workers. They never lasted more than two weeks. Most were gone in like one to five days. It, it was awful. I finally convinced them to hand the hiring over to me. Because I had been working there for a couple of years, I knew what I was looking for in a new employee. So I knew the vital qualities they needed to have in order to do the job. And this led to hiring people who were good workers, who could handle the job, and our turnover rate went way down. It's the same with using a vision statement to hire different things for your education. You know what you're looking for, so the amount of wasted time, bad experiences, and frustration comes way down. That's a super good example. I think anybody that's ever had to do hiring is, well, actually, that's not even true. Anybody that's ever had their boss hire someone to work with them knows, <laughs> knows the risk of that not going well. And I like your application, too. When there's no structure, we don't know what to pull in. We don't know if we want this curriculum or that curriculum. Do we join this co-op or do we just stick it at home and, and do things as a family? Like what really is most important to us? We have to know that. We have to know that. It's essential. I remember having conversations when I was younger about homeschool with my mom. And my mom worked and it would have been hard in several ways. One of her complaints was that I never listened to her anyway. So how, how was she supposed to teach me anything? These days, it's a totally different animal to homeschool because there's online resources, there's so many books and podcasts and public library resources. How does a vision statement help you when options are basically limitless? Uh, absolutely seems like they are limitless. Oh my goodness. In a talk he gave back in 2007 called Good, Better, Best, Dallin H. Oak said, most of us have more things expected of us than we can possibly do. We face many choices on what we will do with our time and other resources. We should begin by recognizing the reality that just because something is good is not a sufficient reason for doing it. The number of good things we can do far exceeds the time available to accomplish them. Some things are better than good, and these are the things that should command priority attention in our lives. When you've taken the time to figure out what those better things are that should have your attention, it is so much easier to see which things are less than that. 
And with that comes the ability or peace in being able to say no to something. It can really help manage your fear of missing out, especially when you realize the truth is every time you're saying yes to something, you're silently saying no to everything else for which that time could be used. I really like what Karen Glass, author of Consider This, Know and Tell, and In Vital Harmony, and a Charlotte Mason educational expert, uh, wrote in a Facebook conversation. She was explaining the concept of captain ideas, which are essentially many vision statements for the different subjects we teach. She said, we need them because they constrain our educational efforts within certain parameters, while also inspiring us and giving us an ideal to strive for. So knowing our parameters and the ideal we are striving for helps shape our homeschool and it makes it easier to know what to say yes to and what needs to be a no. I hear a couple of different things that Tony and I talk about a lot. And one of them is creativity loves constraints, right? If we have limitless resources, our creativity wanes. You have to have those constraints in order to to be creative. And then the other thing you're saying, which is, when we say yes to something, we're saying no to all the other things. And, th- and that's the idea of trade-offs. We, we can't have it all. And so you're right on target, I think, with those, those things. So we've kind of looked through your stuff and your suggestions. There's a lot for you specifically on faith, outdoors, and literature. Why is it that that is such an important piece of your vision statement? So my faith is at the center of my life. It is the meaning of everything, and it's really the ultimate vision statement of life. So a homeschooling vision statement without it would be incomplete and, frankly, of just no use to me. So I've also spent a lot of time studying and thinking about what makes the best life and what good human development looks like. I also know I can't do everything in a day. From experience, I knew the benefits of reading, to which I discovered even more benefits from my research, especially reading aloud. It is one of those simple things you can do that make a huge impact, and those types of things, as I've learned, are important to seek out. Um, You have limited time and energy. The same goes with being out of doors. My priority was to foster a love of nature in my children. I wasn't quite sure how best to help facilitate that. So I read a lot on the subject and it turns out the best way is to get them outside and interacting with nature. But as I continue to read, I discovered just how vital to good human development being outdoors is. It was another one of those simple things you can do that has an amazing return on investment. I do want to point out, however, maybe kind of in the hopes of opening up some more understanding about some of the ideas that we've talked about, that in my vision statement, my primary goal in being outside is love of nature. It's not good human development. It's not movement. It's not sensory input. Those things, while important to me, are not my top priority. So when I choose our outdoor activities, they always get filtered through that lens first. For the past couple of years, we've been participating in a four school-based co-op twice a week. This was what I chose or hired uh, to help me with my goal of love of nature. But after the way the things went this past year, it was obvious while it was still a good thing, it was no longer the best thing. And in some ways was actually hindering my efforts. My oldest was pushing back on some of the classes and that led to pushing back on just even going to the co-op. 
So I went back and I figured out what my needs were. This co-op was actually hired to fill multiple needs and did research on what would be the best next step. Luckily, I run this co-op. So instead of having to find or start a new group, I was able to restructure this one. And I'm really excited about where these changes are going to take my family. But if I hadn't spent the time to know my priorities, the co-op probably would have stayed the same and we would continue using a huge chunk of our time on a good thing and wouldn't have had the room in our schedule for the best thing or the thing we needed most. I love that. And it just makes me think like we have to be really in tune as parents to those things to know when something has served its purpose and needs to be dropped or changed. But we really have to be in tune. We have to have that vision to help drive us. Otherwise, we get stuck in the status quo and the way we've always done it. And I think that you will agree that certainly year to year, but even maybe month to month, week to week, homeschool never looks the same because these kids are constantly changing. Their needs are changing. But within that, right, you still need that vision of your your long-term goals and, and priorities. Another thing I might maybe mirror back to you and see if it gives you an extra thought or maybe you can just tell me if I got it right. You kind of talked about your jobs changing. So maybe your vision doesn't change, but using that jobs to be done framework, your jobs might have changed as well as you even had multiple jobs and the the prior four school format no longer met all the jobs or like how, how does how does that sound? How, how close do I have it? Yeah, no, that that's absolutely right. So my vision didn't change. You could think of that. That's maybe like my principle. And the way that we were doing forest school was really like the application of that principle. That's kind of another way to look at that. And But that application was no longer working. Is there a specific aspect of it? I'm, I'm not as involved in Yale's uh, forest school as obviously you are. So maybe you could just kind of let me understand what changed and, and why, and maybe what the new format's going to look like. Sure. When I started the forest school, I mean, I really didn't know what I was doing. So we just really just made, did the best that we could. And things changed and grew as we added or subtracted families. And my primary goal was that love of nature, but there were those those secondary things like I wanted them to play in nature, I wanted them to move, I wanted them to get that sensory input, just a lot of different things. And what I was seeing is that we had essentially become just doing classes outside and not necessarily engaging with nature. We had ended up starting to go to more... Uh, while very beautiful, but like more manicured locations. And so that's, that's a lot more difficult to like spontaneously find things or. For one example, we found that if we were at a place that had a playground structure, the kids were magnetized to that structure. We're really like you're yeah. saying, your vision was to have a connection with nature. And so yeah. they were ignoring the, the edge of the woods or the pond or whatever else was there. But when we had that playground structure, it, it pulled them away from where we really wanted them to be. Yeah. And so what we're doing is, well, and so before we had like segmented classes 
a different teacher taught the classes and you'd be like, okay, now it's nature journaling time. Now it's, um, we're going to learn a folk song. Now we're going to, and so not necessarily everything that we were doing, like really helped connect to nature. Like it wasn't really the center of what we were doing anymore. What we're attempting to move forward to, this is, again, we don't know what we're doing. So this is still all a big experiment, but we've decided that we are going to only meet in those places that, really help you get immersed into nature places that don't have playgrounds might not have uh, toilets plumbing to go to but you'll you'll be able to feel like you're in nature and not in a man-made environment we're we're getting rid of all of the different subjects we're not segmenting it out and everything's going to be one cohesive lesson we're using the coyotes guide to connecting with nature as our base curriculum it has a lot of flexibility that we can pull from and create um, lessons that will fit our needs. And we chose that book because it also had those same end goals with getting people connected with nature that we did. I'll also just point out, you mentioned that it's an experiment and we don't know what we're doing. And I think that's also a very common feeling among most homeschool moms, whether that's in a co-op or in their day-to-day schooling of their children and it's really part of the fun of it too if you can structure your thoughts to to really love that that experimentation process and that just the fun of the unknown I, I like that piece of homeschool anyway I could imagine people squirming in that though <laughs> like my kids aren't an experiment <laughs> maybe they should be well, and it's not that we're doing just outrageous things that aren't based in research. We're just saying we don't know how this is going to turn out. And that's okay. Yeah, we spent a lot of time researching and working on this project. But the thing is, is we've never done it before. So we don't really know how it's going to turn out. Yeah, and that's okay. I, I think that's the thing I want to drive home for our listeners is it's okay not to know how things are going to turn out. It's okay to pull your kids out of public school not knowing how things are going to turn out. It's okay to try a different curriculum not knowing how things are going to turn out. It's okay to join a co-op of people you've never met before. I think in our society these days, we live very comfortably and we've become maybe a little bit soft and scared of the unknown and of that discomfort and we can do hard things it's okay that's a side note <laughs> <laughs> well that side note actually works very well with my answer to that question about measuring success well then let's jump there we think a lot about this essential need to measure success differently how does a good vision statement help us know how to measure success well, success is a tricky subject. Um, we learn what are the best things to do by the patterns that emerge and the results or outcomes we see happening in children in relation to what we are doing. So, for example, we know kids who have been read to their whole lives develop better, larger vocabularies, both from you know hearing them speak and because they're testing higher in vocabulary on standardized tests. If having a large vocabulary is an important goal to you, then you would start reading books to your kids, especially ones which use rich language. We start running into problems, however, when we believe X plus Y is always going to equal Z. That's not how humans work. 
You can control what you do, but your child isn't you and you only have limited control over them. And really that little control is mostly an illusion. In terms of this example, you read to your child and it's not producing the vocabulary you're expecting. Maybe there's an auditory processing issue. Maybe they're on a slower development timeline than you would like. Or maybe they're simply choosing not to listen while you read. But when you're defining success on the outcome, it can often look like you are failing and you can end up ditching the best things you should be doing. Do you have a certain destination in mind when you write a vision statement? Yes, of course. Are there things that best help us arrive at that destination? Again, yes. But it's more about the essential things that we do day in and day out. It is the answer to the question, how should we then live? It is about the environment and experience we wish to create. And I think that it places what and where the measurement of success ought to be on what we do ourselves. For example, from my vision statement, it says, we are story formed by the best books. The phrase story formed, I pulled from Sarah Clarkson's wonderful book, Caught Up in a Story. You should read it. There is little chance that my children will end up story formed if I don't read them stories, if books aren't available to read and we never listen to a good audiobook. On the flip side, I cannot guarantee they will end up a certain way because I read stories. If I read Pinocchio to my child, that doesn't mean they will learn not to be a liar. And from that moment on, they are always honest. I would always feel like a failure if that was the type of outcome I was expecting and trying to measure my success based on that. But what I can do, what I do have control over is how much time I spend reading to my kids, the quality of books we read, keeping them in supply of books, turning on an audiobook when we're in the car, and reading myself, showing them how joyful of an activity it is. I know those are the best things to do if I'm trying to be story formed. And that's what I can measure my success on. Did I do my part? And I know if I did my part because my vision statement is showing me the things I ought to do. In homeschooling, we should make our measurement for success personal action based rather than child outcome based. This is like one of those things that I'm, I'm totally obsessed with. So I can't tell you the source for this story. So if, if it's... Uh apocryphal, who cares? It still gets the point across. There's the story of the software company where the programmers were given a bonus for getting bugs out of the software, but they were the same programmers that wrote the software. So maybe they weren't intentionally being dishonest and pushing out bad software, but they knew they could fix it on the back end and get a little extra bonus while they were at it. So the way that we measure success is just massively important on what we teach our kids that actually matters. So if we're in a grades-based system and we teach our kids that the only thing matters that matters is the grade, then why are we surprised if they cheat on stuff? Or if, I mean, sometimes it lands in the news that the teachers help the kids cheat on the standardized test to make the school look better. There's all kind of bad outcomes. So yeah, we're doing swimming lessons this summer. And in the program that we're using, they have different stations and you can progress throughout the stations, you know, once you've mastered all the things. And I have child number three is um, 
exceptionally talented at like athletics and all things physical. And so he's been progressing at a much faster pace than his two older siblings. But it's been really fun that I've been able to have conversations with my kids talking about talents, but also on the other side that even if we don't have a talent, we can work hard at something and we can progress. And so we've really been trying to emphasize the process of doing the hard work. And that's what matters. And that's what's important. And if you do that, you are going to eventually progress. And so my oldest has had some, you know, really hard days where he doesn't think things are going well. We, we kind of talk through it. and We're just like, we just, you know, you just need to do your best. You need to work hard. And then today he was really excited because he's like, I'm doing like I've started to progress because, you know, progression is not linear. So it's kind of hard to push through sometimes but he finished and he was really excited because he's like I'm progressing I I made progress today and I think I'm going to be able to move up another station uh next week well and what I hear you saying too is just the importance when measuring success is shooting to do your personal best rather than comparing yourself or your kids to someone else or to one another and I think that's an important element also well, the rate that we progress is individualized. So yeah, I might be good at tasks one, seven, and nine on a particular math skill to know the whole thing. And those three come easier, but Jerry Lynn's going to be better at a different one. But the idea that everybody has the exact same amount of time to learn every skill is, there's just no way that that's right. Yeah. Well, so I heard this story. Um, a girl that I go to church with was giving a talk and talking about this hard time that they were having with math. And there was this one concept that just like the whole class didn't understand. And so the, the teacher did, you know, stop and, and take time. But after two weeks, she's like, I'm required. I have to move on. And she said most of the class still did not understand. And I was just like, but it's math. If you don't understand that, you're going to have a breakdown further down in the road. It's more important to understand before moving on. It made me sad. That's another example of the risk of measuring success wrong. If success is covering the material, then you get one set of outcomes. But if success is... Building a foundation. Yeah, yeah, building the foundation. Like, it is more important to teach students than it is to teach lessons. Yeah. We're not in the business of teaching lessons because I can teach a lesson to a wall and pretend I taught a lesson. But if I've taught a student, they actually understand something. This podcast is obviously a lot about the innovative possibilities of homeschool. Have you felt like you've had opportunities that maybe have been innovative approaches that would have been impossible through the typical approaches to education? So for me personally, it's been the creative aspect um, of this endeavor that I would have missed out on if I had sent my kids to traditional school. So I've essentially been building a school from scratch. And I really like that I get to be the designer, the decision maker, and the implementer. I've really loved being able to build an educational experience that is centered on my faith is based on what good human development looks like and uses true principles of education. I am not beholden to teaching to a test or justifying my choices to others in order to do them, which leaves me free to make the best decisions. 
for my kids, it's really that we've been able to use our school time to learn outside the constraints of a physical building and go on adventures. We started out with a wild and free group that met twice a month for activities. Then we moved on to creating a group that went hiking once a week. And then, yeah, a couple of years ago, we tacked on a twice a week for a school-based co-op. And we've really been able to go and do things that you just can't when you're in a physical building or you have limited time outside of school. I actually went and looked up what the elementary school schedule was in the district I live in and they are in school for seven hours and 20 minutes. And we live in an area where buses are not used to the full potential. And so there is a parent drop off and Whenever I pass one of those lines, I'm like, that right there is is what keeps me homeschooling. So I don't have to go do that. And when you add that on, like, that's, I mean, you're talking like nine hours of your day. Well, and even for friends of mine that they do use the bus system, I hear that it takes an hour or more for their kids to get home on the bus after school is over. Yeah. So one thing I wanted to throw in before we wrapped up for sure is just another endorsement of this idea of a vision statement, and I'm going to do it with the Old Testament. Proverbs 29:18 says, where there is no vision, the people perish. One of the biggest travesties, and I know I talk about this too much, is that people don't love learning. If you watch our two-year-old, he is a learning machine. You can't stop him from learning. And the problem is, if we don't think about our education in the right way of our kids, we can talk them out of the love of learning. And that, whether or not you do homeschool or not, it doesn't matter, but maybe it does matter. But the real deal that does, (laughs) the essential thing that does matter is keep alive that love of learning and it will make so much difference for the way that your experience in your family goes. Thank you, Lizzie, for meeting with us. It's been fun. It's been a pleasure. And you have shared a lot of great ideas and thoughts that our audience will will learn from. And we hope that they'll apply in their education. So thanks again. Thank you. I I just hope, yeah, that this was helpful to at least one person. One person matters. That's right. Thanks, everybody, for listening today to the Learning is Disruptible podcast. Be sure to share the episode with a friend, subscribe to the show, and leave us a five-star review. Have a great day.